Hey, Collateral Cinema listeners, Chazzle Dazzle here from the Trial by Air Variety Show podcast, just taking a few seconds to invite you guys over to what we do. Much like Collateral Cinema, we are a grassroots podcast. We invite bands from all over the world to come in, and we dig deep into their souls and find really cool stories to tell you, and there's tons of music every week, so subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to your podcast. We look forward to having you. Tonight on The Director's Cut, we are exploring the video nasties from the UK as we review Anthropophagus and the classic H.G. Lewis gore movie, Blood Feast. So stick around. The show starts right now. Ba-na-na-na-na. Na-na-na-na. Welcome to Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. I'm Bo Maddox. And I'm Ashley Chancellor. We're podcasting straight from somewhere in South Texas. And yes, my friends, we are a 420-friendly podcast. So whatever you have, smoke smoke it it if you've got got it. And welcome to our latest episode of the Director's Cut. It's been a while since we've released a Director's Cut due to certain extenuating circumstances and also, you know, Memorial Day weekend happened. So we just kind of figured... Let's take a week off. Let's kind of slow our roll a little bit. And let's go ahead and release this as soon as we can the next week. So here we are. We're recording and we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Well, you know, all that plus also Robert's focusing on being a story writer, I guess, this week. Yeah, something like that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I guess he's trying to get into his creative process or something. So, damn it, Robert, you should be here. This was originally our you know, idea and everything. So. Oh, well, we're, we're, we're fixing to record Texas Sundown, but the less we say about that, the better, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of busy getting everything together on that. So, But yeah. I'm filling in today, So, and this isn't my first time on the director's cut. Oh, no, not in a long shot. I think you've even done one of our commentaries with us, Yeah, I believe. And on this particular episode, we're going to be getting into a really interesting piece of cinematic history, especially regarding underground horror and exploitation and extreme cinema. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the UK Video Nasties. Video Nasties. This this was a list of 72 movies that were specifically targeted by this uh, recording act that was passed by Parliament back in the day. And it actually made it illegal to sell these movies to people. On VHS. On VHS, which was, you know, at that time, a really big revolutionary part of the movie industry. I mean, we probably wouldn't have the modern movie industry as we have it if it wasn't for that. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, the the, the British Board of Film Classification, or BBFC, w- it was actually enforcing policies stricter on video releases than theatrical releases. Yeah, that's what's weird about that. But, I mean, there is kind of a reason for that, maybe. It's because of how widely available these VHS movies were. I mean, this was responsible for proliferating a lot of movies that otherwise probably wouldn't have been seen again outside of their theatrical releases. Right. So, yeah, it, it was illegal for vendors to sell these movies. And, you know, the, the common refrain was it was for the kids, of course. It was for the kids, bro. Isn't it always like that? 
You know, doesn't it always kind of boil down to that bullshit excuse? Right, like transphobic laws. Yeah, Exactly, right? they try to say it's for the kids. Exactly, yeah. yeah, but it rarely is, right? It rarely is. Yeah, by the way, everybody, happy Pride Month. Happy Pride Month, guys, Definitely. hell yeah. Yeah, but we are going to be focusing on two of these movies specifically, and they're kind of a couple of the standout movies on this list other than you know the obvious ones like cannibal holocaust cannibal fear rocks i think the the fun house was on this list and the evil dead which is like the one like real mainstream movie on this list it's the arguably the most mainstream movie on it yeah and and of course the movie possession which is this weird fucking psychedelic trip of a horror movie about a divorce hell yeah yeah you need to see that it's a great movie i need to watch that on acid man Oh, no. <laughs> I need to watch it, that on shrooms. It's kind of a mind fuck, and Isabella Johnny gives the performance of a lifetime in that movie, but we're, we're going to save that for another time, possibly even for the actual Collateral Cinema main podcast. That would be cool. And we are specifically going to focus on Anthropophagus, which is pretty legendary among gorehounds, and another legendary gorehound movie, arguably the er example of a gorehound splatter movie, Blood Feast, directed by H.G. Lewis, Herschel Gordon Lewis, respectively. But first, we'll go ahead and get into Anthropophagus. Anthropophagus is this really interesting Italian movie. I mean, it has quite a few actors and actresses from other Italian films. I, I believe uh, the woman that plays Carol was actually in Cannibal Ferox. And yeah, she was caught in a very precarious predicament in that movie. But oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you might know what I'm talking about. It's an infamous part of that movie. But this movie right here is a little slow on the scares and the gore. It's it's paced almost like glacially. Yeah, it is an interesting pacing. The movie feels a lot longer than it is, and and I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. But, like, what is, I think, like a one-and-a-half-hour movie? I mean, feels like it, like a full-length, like, two-and-a-half-hour movie. It really does, and I think that's because uh, Joe D'Amato, who was, you know, he was a legendary exploitation... Yeah, exploitation, horror, and pornographer at times. Hell yeah. Yeah, he, he even made straight pornography back in the day, but this movie... Was a lot more atmospheric in Wait, its direction. If he's this exploitative with his regular movies, I want to see this guy's porn, man. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I believe that there might be some cinema snob episodes where kind of crazy the day, shit does he do? Yeah, yeah, that might, that might dive into that. I think he may have done a Caligula movie along the line. Oh, well. somewhere. But in this movie, it starts out, you know, kind of. I mean, what's the word? Like, starts off with a bang a little bit. I guess so, yeah. And inexplicably, there's no English dub in the first five minutes of the movie. Yeah, we were <laughs> watching this on DVD, and we thought something was wrong with the Xbox or the DVD player or something. We're like, yeah. why isn't it playing in, in English, we, and why are there no subtitles? And then, and then um, we get past the first scene, and we realize that it's just that one scene. Yeah, we get to the air trolley scene, yeah. and yeah, all of a sudden, everybody's speaking English. And it's like, well, oh, oh okay then. And for some <laughs> reason, we couldn't get the goddamn closed captions to work, which was weird. I, I don't know why. Yeah, they probably wouldn't have matched what they were saying anyway. Yeah, you're right. It probably would have matched Been the Italian. The actual Italian audio. translation, yeah. yeah. Any anime fans are aware of this phenomenon. <laughs> and 
just like anime has a specific flavor to its dubbing, Italian movies are kind of the same way. Like, yeah, you you watch movies like Burial Ground or Giallo's like Tenebrae or, you know, something like Blood and Black Lace. Like the dubbing has its own real kind of specific approach to English. You know, and I will say I actually forgot it was being dubbed. I mean, I think I was able to invest myself in the story enough and not really pay attention to their mouths that I, I, I could actually, it felt like they were speaking English. It really did. I mean, it didn't look all that off. And I mean, the, the dubbing was just as over the top as the acting was. So Yeah, and that's what lends to the more laid back vibe in this movie. I, I argue that this is more of a laid back splatter movie. It's not really quick to get to the gore or anything. Yeah, it's mostly setup, right? It's a lot of setup, and that's kind of central to Italian cinema, especially Italian horror and exploitation, mainly coming from, like, giallos. Yeah. Like, I mean, giallos are very much all about build-up and the kills, and then all the whodunit element. And this right here, I mean, it almost kind of feels giallo-ish a little bit because they're trying to figure out who, what happened on this island. Like, like the, the whole setup is that they pick up this journalist and they're heading out on their yacht and yeah. she needs to get to this island to see her friends. And they arrive at the island and there is no life left. There, there's just nobody there. And they start finding dead bodies all over the place, like desiccated corpses, I might add, which is another feature of Italian horror cinema is uh, rotting corpses, especially in a lot of the zombie movies. Okay. So that, that's an interesting theme throughout Italian cinema at that time. But anyway, we eventually find out that the inhabitants of this village have been systematically cannibalized by this crazy motherfucker who <laughs> went crazy because he was shipwrecked and out to sea with his wife and kid. And I think his name is Klaus or some shit. Klaus or something like that. He's played by the legendary George Eastman. I mean, yeah. I don't remember his Italian name, but he's he's generally known as uh, George Eastman. Oh, man, that those wide eyes, right? Oh, man, his performance steals the show as the, the beast. I mean, I, I don't know what they really call him. He's just the killer of the beast. But he just imbues this look of utter insanity with every <laughs> look at his eyes. And and I love the way that D'Amato really kind of focuses on his eyes. Like, that's like the most iconic look on this monster. Yeah. And by this point, he's a monster. I mean, he doesn't even look human. He, he has, like, really ugly skin and everything. And he, he's just lost all faculties. He has no recollection of his humanity. Yeah, I wasn't sure if he was a human or not, but then I was like, no, I think this movie is about cannibalism. So this is a guy; it's not a zombie. I mean, he's just a he's just a dude. He's just a dude, and I guess that just the act of cannibalizing people just made him that monstrous. Well, I mean, he originally had to eat his own wife and kids. So, I mean, imagine what that would do to your psyche. Yeah, and and he was already desperately hungry and out of his mind at that moment. Yeah, so I, I guess he just acquired a taste for for human flesh and he just went through this village and just killed them except for one a couple of women one is this his own sister and two is the daughter of the friends that this journalist is trying to hook up with when and it's it's a bang when that girl is introduced she just comes right out of a fucking barrel and just starts stabbing that yeah that one i don't remember his name just stabbing that one dude in the back 
and Juliet is just looking at this like, what the fuck just happened? You know, I didn't realize she was blind when I was first watching this. I thought she was just traumatized. No, she, she's straight up blind. And yeah. her heightened sense of smell actually plays into the plot because she can smell whenever the anthropophagus beast is around. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously this guy is also rotting, I guess, in a way. He's just literally rotting from the inside. Something like that, man. This guy is this guy's fucking weird. Yeah. He's so fucking he's he's actually creepy. He is extremely creepy. I mean, he's one of the first early exploitation monsters that really kind of made me think, like, wow, this guy actually means business. And we'll talk about how he means business later <laughs> on, because there are a couple of scenes worth mentioning. But, yeah, the character of the Beast, I mean, George Eastman, he just gave this performance that is just so nuts and just so devoid of any, you know, human features. But that's that's a plus for this character. I mean, he really went all out, balls to the wall. Balls to the wall, indeed. I, I like how, in regards to most of these uh, cannibal movies, in the Video Nasties list, this one just features the sole cannibal. Not like an island full of them. Just No, it's not an island full of them, nor is it like a weird cannibal disease or anything. It's just this one guy who went nuts and started to just become bestial because he kept on killing and eating people. And somehow gets physically enhanced. Yeah, physically enhanced as well. Yeah, he's got strength. I mean, he's practically almost like a an archetype for... Uh, like Jason or Michael. It's probably just like his feral instincts, like with his human intellect like stripped away. I mean, he's just stronger. He, he's just all animal instinct. He's all animal, point. nothing holding him back. That's that's probably you could play it that way. Exactly. And he goes on a killing spree. First, he kidnaps a pregnant woman and doesn't kill her initially. But we'll go ahead and talk about a couple of the most iconic scenes yes. from this movie. And the first one, of course, is the fetus eating scene. By the way, if you're pro-life, you should probably stop listening. Yeah, you probably should because this is in a straight-up atrocity, but it's so well-made and well-produced for its time that it's almost convincing, and it's done in a brutal way. He literally just aborts this baby straight out of her, just reaches up, <laughs> like, just like an old-school shit, just reached it up and just pulled it out How and, the i mean fuck? Ah! that's that's <laughs> awful right but then right in front of the kid's father also who he just stabbed and is bleeding to death he just picks up the fetus looks at it for a second just takes a big old chomp out of it oh fuck as someone who has watched a live birth out of my own wife that still makes me squeamish just him pulling just ripping it out of her like i'm just oh I, he's not a doctor he's not he's not being careful no, he's, he's just reaching in there to get food. Yeah. Straight up. But, I mean, it's, it's such an effective scene also because of where it was filmed. It was filmed in an actual crypt, but apparently it didn't have enough, you know, corpses in there for D'Amato's taste. So he, his prop department went ahead and put a bunch of different, you know, skulls and corpses and everything that oh, they made. But apparently... They look so realistic that they couldn't tell the difference between the real corpses that were there and versus the fake ones. So oh, no. there is a possibility that D'Amato may have actually done some grave robbing there and just made off with some human remains. So Oh no. But that that's kind of par for the course with the Italian film industry at that time. It was kind of a wild west type of thing. Yeah, you know? I imagine so. <laughs> 
But the next scene that is arguably the most iconic scene, it's it's actually what's on the actual DVD cover and everything. Hell yeah. And it's, whenever you think of Anthropophagus, this is what you think about. And that's, of course, the entrail eating scene. I mean, he's just fucking going at it. it. It that's fucking metal as hell, my dude. In fact, there should be like some like gore grind album cover with with that scene on it. There probably is. Oh, uh, there is actually a gore grind band called Anthropophagus. It's either a brutal death or a grindcore band. But there you go. All right, perfect. Yeah, it's 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 obviously like that a gore grind. That sounds like a grindcore name. Yeah, it does. You know. But what is more metal than eating your own entrails, dude? Come there's on. nothing more metal, honestly. I mean, that that's like Cannibal Corpse shit, dude. Like, like, that, like that, that's like the first the first <laughs> Cannibal Corpse album that has the zombie just ripping chunks of flesh off of him, and you know it's implied that he might be eating it. But this happens near the end of the movie. Eastman's character, the the Anthropophagus beast, Juliet is trying to look for him. She looks down a well, and he just comes up, grabs her, and just throws her down there. She gets caught on a rope with her arm, which that, that fucking sucks. Oh. But yeah, she's struggling to grab hold of this uh, built-in ladder in this well and everything, and just right behind her is the Anthropophagus beast. And so they eventually get to the surface, and... Andy, one of the characters that we haven't seen in the movie for a little bit, comes up with a pickaxe and just gets him in the guts, pulls it out, and he just starts leaking his guts out. And so the anthropophagus just looks at them, looks down, grabs a big old handful of these entrails, and just takes a bite. Hell fall, yeah! Falls over, passes out, and then just, just that's it. That's the end. That's the end. No, like... Wrapping up the movie, no uh, additional scenes. No. I mean, and, and I think it's actually kind of perfect. It's, it's masterful in its own sense because there. what else is there to tell? What other story do we need to see on screen? It almost kind of feels like the ending to Bay of Blood, if you've seen it. I know you probably haven't seen it. Robert no. has. We were going to talk about it, actually. Yeah, yeah, that's what we were going to talk about, but, you know, it's kind of Robert's movie and... It has a lot to do with Friday the 13th, so he's going to want to have something to comment on it, you know? Sure. So we, we, we went ahead and capped that for you, Robert. <laughs> you plebeian bastard. <laughs> You're not here, bro. God when damn we miss it. you. Damn it, Robert. Come back, Robert. Your sweet, sweet baritone and your... Baby, once, come back! Once long <laughs> and luscious, but now... Short and boy band hair. <laughs> Damn it, Robert. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, this dude straight up eats his intestines, and this is the iconic scene of this movie. I have it somewhere over here, but right on the DVD cover is that scene, that drawing of the anthropophagus beast, like just chomping down on his entrails, and that's chomping away, man. And, and, and remember. Quite a few of these video nasties, more than likely, they were banned more because of what you see on the covers than anything. That's true. I doubt that they went through and watched all of these. You know, maybe there were a few of them that were just like, okay, looking at the cover. Yeah, no. Yeah, that's enough. Like, like especially in the case of like The Driller Killer, which is another iconic movie that was on the video <laughs> nasties list. And isn't even nearly as gory as it, it's made out to be. But what do you think about this movie? What's your final review? And what's how many out of 10 stars would you give this? How many out of 10? Yeah. That's a great question. It's like a, it's a solid 7.5. 
I mean, it's a lot of fun. By no means is it any sort of like masterpiece of cinema or anything, but I like the way that it's paced and I like the way that the exploitation is used, not just solely for effect, but in a different way, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's it's some sort of uh, analogy for something. Maybe it is, but then again, maybe it was just D'Amato just wanting to make a silly B-movie. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's pretty, and this is my review. It's pretty much a B-monster movie yeah. in many ways, but I mean... It also kind of goes against the grain there, like the aforementioned slow pacing of the plot and the way that D'Amato imbues a lot of atmosphere into the surroundings. I mean, in a way, it almost kind of feels like, you know, some Resident Evil shit, you know, especially yeah. especially the last two games. I was watching it and I, I could actually see this as like a survival horror game. But no, you're right. It does feel a lot like uh, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. It really does. I mean, even with the hulking or like apparently indestructible cannibal beast. You yeah. Know? Like, yeah, there, there's a little bit of that in Resident Evil 7 and the village setting, of course. I mean, we had Resident Evil Village come out recently and it, it kind of fits into that as well. Check out our review of that on Collateral Gaming, by the way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a review of that on Collateral Gaming. Was it just a one part review? Yeah, just a one part game launch uh, spoiler free episode. Right on. But yeah, I'm going to go ahead and give it an 8 out of 10 stars. It's entertaining. It's one of the great Italian movies of its time when it comes to exploitation and underground cinema. The gore is, it takes a while to get to it, but when you do get to it, it is absolutely stunning. It, it's it's intelligent, I guess, is, is, is what makes it different. Is it is exploitative for the sake of being exploitative, but it's intelligent. That's what sets this apart. Exactly. It's it's trash, but it's you know well done it's and philosophical thoughtful. trash. Philosophical and thoughtful trash, <laughs> which is you can use to describe quite a few Italian movies. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> itself. This is pretty much where that strain of cinema begins. Extreme cinema, underground horror, exploitation. This is pretty much the seed of all of that. 
And that yeah. is the classic 60s gore movie by Herschel Gordon Lewis, Blood Feast. This is a movie that is kind of, in many ways, the opposite of Anthropophagus, because for one, it's a very short movie. It's just barely over 60, like 67 minutes. It's not even 70 minutes. Yeah, no, it, it, it's short. You'll get through it fairly quickly, but there's plenty of content. It's, it's jam-packed. So I, I think I, I was so tired last night, I missed just bits of it, and I still felt like I, I saw what this movie had to offer. In reality, yeah, I mean, it's not like, you know, the story is anything, uh, you know, of note. I mean, it's a pretty standard, almost police procedural in a way. Yeah. You know? And it's very 60s. I, you know, I was comparing this with some of the Star Trek uh, original series episodes I've been watching lately. Because we're doing our upcoming episode on Star Trek Beyond. So I, I've been watching a lot of the original series, you know, with Shatner and and Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. And man, this is so 60s. All it, it's it's literally like the same thing. The camp is is completely the same. The overacting Yeah, it is painfully <laughs> 60s. Painfully early 60s even. And, and it's kind of weird when you see all the gory parts go go down because it's such a stereotypically 60s movie that you know, you're comparing it to like you said, you compare it to other works like that. Like e even some of the underground movies at that time, you know, which were, you know, like they're just silly little like nudie movies and everything. Yeah. But I mean, and they had like a, that 60s vibe of like go-go dancing and everything, you know, kind, kind of like the incredible world of Batwoman. OK. You know, which Mystery Science Theater did an episode on. And I mean, the gore effects themselves, it was so ahead of its time. You just didn't see stuff like that in 60s movies at that time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a lot of it is stuff that we've seen before in a lot of film that's come after. But. When you consider the time that this was released, you know, put it into perspective that, yeah, this movie was 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 definitely something that they had never seen before. Uh, and I guess a lot of people didn't get to see. <laughs> I guess not. I mean, I would love to have been in the first few screenings of that movie. I mean, just to see the reaction of that typically white bread, you know, Christian American 60s <laughs> audience just taking in all this just outright gore and acting, which is so bad, it's classic. Mm -hmm. Like, for instance, I mean, what can be said about, you know, Hail Frank? Looks like it's going to be another one of those long, hard, hard ones. ones. <laughs> yeah, or the iconic, have you ever had an Egyptian feast? I know, he might as well, like, stare right at the camera and be like, it's a feast to die for. Exactly. You almost <laughs> expect that to happen. And that's what was notable about a lot of Lewis's work is that, I mean, except for a few examples, there was always a little bit of a humor to his work, especially with the more gory works, you know? Yeah. But the gore in this movie ranges from a tongue being ripped out. We have Hell a, yeah. We pretty much have a woman's head opened up with a machete and all the brains and everything are splattered all over the place. I mean, you have a gouged eye. Mm -hmm. You have a beating with a whip, which is very obvious that he's not actually whipping her. It's, like, painfully obvious. Yeah. You also have, you know, gory set pieces. And then you have, I mean, I think there was a decapitation in that movie. Was, was there? I don't remember. At some point. I lost count, to be honest with you. Yeah, but in all of these scenes, I mean, 
like you said, it's nothing to really note about, you know, these days. But back then, that was, you know, just so different and so vibrant. And you could see that those techniques being used in, you know, further works down the line. Yeah, it changed the industry. And, and if you enjoy splatter cinema, then you owe this movie. Yeah, arguably most of the movies on this 72-long video nasties list wouldn't have been possible without Blood Feast. Yeah. It just wouldn't have been. I mean, for fuck's sake, Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox? Is this the earliest film on this list? Or It is one of the earliest films. One of them, right? Yeah, okay. I think it is one of the earliest works on on this list and it's the most influential and I love it. I mean, it's, it's so much fun to put on every now and again, because I mean, you can get through it in just a little over an hour. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, the plot is nothing that you have to really wrap your head around. No. And I didn't think the same about the other movie either. Anthropophagus, but I mean, it's kind of, it's a movie that you can, you can leave on in the background and just smoke a bowl and, it's seriously a great stoner movie in its Hell own yeah. It, it's, a, it's a great drinking movie, too. I mean, Splatter Cinema has a great tradition of just buddies getting together, drinking a lot of beer, and just watching some fucked up Splatter movies. I mean, that was just kind of a, you know, a feature of, you know, the experience of these types of movies. Yeah. It is... Uh what i was gonna say <laughs> <laughs> well what else can be said exactly i mean i guess i'll go ahead and give my review on this movie because i mean there's not really a whole lot much left to say about it i mean this is the penultimate original gore movie i mean i have to give it at least a nine just for its historical value yeah i mean this is a historical document when it comes to gore in cinema i mean arguably there has been other types of gory special effects in previous movies like i mean technically the the scarecrow being broken up by the flying monkeys in the wizard of oz that's technically the first ever dismemberment scene on film oh that's true i but, mean it's not particularly graphic but yeah, it is dismemberment th that's the thing it's, it's meant to be fantastical because of course that's a scarecrow you can tear a scarecrow apart pretty easily yeah but no you're right that's crazy and like a living one, so... Yeah, but this was where mutilation and blood and guts were just straight up just shown outright. I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I think that it even predates Night of the Living Dead, I actually. I think so. I, I think it, predate, it predates Night of the Living Dead. I think that was, that was in the 70s, right? Uh, Night of the 60s? Living Dead was late 60s, early 70s. Some, yeah, either the early 70s or late 60s. This was 1963, so... This right here, it predates the gore in that movie, which is its own kind of grittiness and everything, and is convincing in its own right. But yeah, I'm going to give it a nine. It's, it's fun. It's gory. It's something you could just put on every now and again and still have a good time watching. I mean, it. just it's, think about it. This came out the same year as Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Doctor fucking Who came out the same year that this was coming out. Yeah. Now, what are your final thoughts and your final review of this movie? Hmm. I mean, it's a classic. I think any horror slasher movie enjoyer needs to see this. It's uh, just as iconic as Night of the Living Dead, I would argue. And, and especially splatter fans. I mean, 
uh, you will have to have already seen this. <laughs> yeah, this is pretty much required viewing in every sense. Like, kind exactly. of like Anthropophagus. Both of these are required viewing at one point for people who are into extreme cinema or exploitation or any type of groundbreaking cinema like that. 100%. But, yeah, I, I enjoyed the hell of it. I thought it was a blast. I don't know that I invested as much of my attention into it. I, I think it was just something that was fun to just, like, ogle at, you know, yeah, whenever something brutal just happened on screen. Yeah, that that's the thing. You don't really have to pay attention to it to appreciate it. I mean, and that's arguably the same with a lot of Lewis's works, which came out in a box set not too long ago, like right before his death, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, he is dead. May he rest in peace. But, I mean, he left his mark on the world, and what a hell of a mark it is. Yeah. With a solid extra... 0.5 just for cinematic influence. I give this movie an 8.5 out of 10. It's fun. It's uh, a must-see. I think if you are a splatter film enjoyer or or someone who's who's just into this a lot like Bo, you'd probably give this film an even higher score. For me, since I'm sort of just being introduced to it, it doesn't mean as much, but I imagine that could change. <laughs> and another thing that's notable about Blood Feast is that it's typically included in those a uh, list of the most disturbing movies ever made, it, which makes sense because it's the first uh, splatter movie that was ever made. It's the first real disturbing movie. Yeah, it's kind of on, it's kind of in the, on on the upper end of the iceberg. Or yeah, yeah, that's right. They're they were making icebergs about this shit now. Yeah. These, these iceberg memes on YouTube. I'm not gonna lie. I've watched quite a few of those videos. It's actually very entertaining. Even though a lot of it is shit that I've already been aware of for a while, it's it's good to kind of revisit that and to also look at what's kind of beyond what I know about, you know? Yeah. Like when you're getting into, like, the real hardcore shit, like the Snuff R73 shit, which I don't think that I'll ever touch with a 10-foot pole. I mean, I'd much rather watch August Underground than that shit, honestly. <laughs> but, yeah, this is pretty much the quintessential disturbing splatter movie. And if you don't have it in your collection and you're a horror fan, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Get the box set. Get all of Lewis's works. It's pretty much the reason why we're here. Yeah. It's the reason why we're all here. It's the reason the re why Collateral Cinema exists. Collateral Cinema shows like The Last Drive-In, you know, like all of horror Twitter and everything. I mean, we would not... I mean, yeah, I mean, horror predates this, but when it comes to the splatter side of everything, like we owe a great debt to Herschel Gordon Lewis. And if you're tired of owing great depths, you should try Honey, the free browser extension. Oh, my God. Do you see how well we could read ads? Yeah. Listen isn't to that. That, that was that natural. Seriously, we could totally transition into ad space. Hint, hint, sponsors. <laughs> it's like, I mean, but watch, it's going to be Raid Shadow Legends. Oh, if no. You use, if you use the promo code C-Cinema. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens with that. <laughs>
But if you want to support us in the meantime, check out our Patreon. Yeah, we have a Patreon for Collateral Cinema and also one for Collateral Gaming, I believe. Yes, sir. So on both on both Patreons, we do commentaries on films and video games, uh, some of which are outside of our numbered episodes. And once we start getting more people actually contributing to the Patreon, we're going to add new content to it. The biggest reason why we haven't added a whole lot of content to it recently is mainly because we just haven't had a whole lot of people contributing to it. But let's put it this way. If we can get even just 30 people contributing to us, maybe we can come up with something a little different. Like maybe we can actually have a poll which determines what movie we do on the director's cut next or something like that. Yeah. Maybe we could do something like that. We can do more giveaways. We just need to start getting more people on the Patreon. So, yeah, find us on Patreon. And also, be sure to give us a five-star review. Both of our podcasts are on Apple Podcasts and also on Podchaser. So and with the release of Apple Podcasts premium subscriptions, we're, we'll, we'll throw our patron content on y- that channel yeah. as well. Yeah, de- definitely. Definitely. And also, I may as well go ahead and say this. I heard a little something something about IMDb accepting podcasts. Oh, shit. Okay. And everything. So maybe you might be seeing us on IMDb here pretty soon. Hell yeah. And I know Robert will be excited about that because he's always like, we got to get that. We got to get that credit, man. We got to get that <laughs> IMDb credit. And it's like, yeah, you're right. Well, now the podcast can get one. So Speaking of Robert, what are we, what are we, what are we talking about next on Collateral Cinema? Another we, car movie? We're talking about another car movie. Exactly. We're diving right into the world of Hollywood stunt driving. Again, we did so way back in season one with Death Proof. But this time, we're going into the classic Burt Reynolds stuntman Burt comedy. Burt Reynolds. Burt fucking Reynolds. Stuntman comedy slash drama slash action movie Hooper. It's all about Hooper, who is a stunt driver. And it all culminates in one ginormous scene, which is a really immaculately choreographed car accident. Oh, man, just like Gosling, the stuntman. Just just like Gosling, man. Gosling. Yeah, it it plays into the same theme. (laughs) So, yeah, look for that very soon. And we will probably do another director's cut commentary here very soon. I'm not sure what we'll be doing it on. We might just do something like Bay of Blood or something. I don't know. Yeah, it could be cool. Yeah, that that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. And if you like Collateral Cinema and you also like video games, check out Collateral Gaming. As of today, we actually just recorded our episode on Dead Space, and that's part one of a episode focusing on the Dead Space series. Part two will focus on the second game. So stay tuned for that and also our Collateral Gaming bonus round content. We actually just did a bonus round commentary on Prime 2D, so check that out. That's the 2D remake of Metroid Prime, right? That's correct, sir. Excellent. That sounds awesome. I mean, I, I wouldn't mind actually playing that sometime. Yeah, so, you know, just looking at the indie or multiplayer side of gaming. And, yeah, so check that out and stay tuned for more Collateral Cinema and Collateral Cinema Director's Cut content. Yes, we will have more content coming at you, and we will have our season finale coming very soon. Yes, sir. That's going to be the interview with Seth Rogen and James Franco. And I'm hoping to have my good friend Joey, or Joe, he likes to be called nowadays, I might have him come on the podcast. Oh, that would be badass. He's cool. Yeah, yeah, he's cool, and he would probably like to discuss that movie. So Hell yeah. We'll work something out. Joey, if you're listening, hit us up. We'll get it put together. 
But anyway, yeah, check out Anthropophagus and check out Blood Feast. They're essential splatter movies and they're really cool. Now, with all that said, I'm Bo Maddox. I'm Ashley Chancellor. And this was Collateral Cinema Director's Cut. Look for our new episode coming this time next week, y'all. Laters. Cinema is a collateral media podcast. All music and movie clips are owned by their respective creators and are used for educational purposes only. Please don't sue us. We're poor.